As we continue on in our study of uh, Revelation, we've come to the point where we've looked at uh, these first four seals as we've seen this scroll unroll, the uh, end time events, if you will, that are written on this scroll. And as each seal is broken and as the scroll is unrolled further, different events take place. We saw the four horsemen. Don't want to go over that again, but uh, I said last week, I believe those all center around one individual. It's not four different individuals. I believe it's one individual. We call him the Antichrist. So he's a pretty big player in the end time in the book of Revelation. Not the main player. That's Jesus. Let's never forget that. But this guy who's we nickname Antichrist is um, a pretty important person. And we need to understand some things that the Bible says about him. So we went to Matthew chapter 24 where Jesus himself is teaching his disciples and they ask him, what are going to be the signs of the end? Or what are we supposed to be looking for? What's going to happen right before you come? And he, he talks about different things. Some of the things I think we're going through now, some things have taken place over all of pretty much human history, but uh, we're seeing some things that are a little out of the ordinary, right? With... Uh, just different things that are going on, even even what we're facing today, which seems like we're coming through it and we're past most of it, praise God. Uh, but still, it was a different experience for us, right? This, this whole shutdown, this government control like we've never experienced before. It's kind of a taste of what is to come when one guy rules the world and this guy's Antichrist. So Jesus talks about a couple of those things, but he makes a very specific point. He says, watch Be watching, look for this thing called the abomination of desolation. Big words, crazy language. It just means something that is disgusting that happens and then causes destruction. So that's that's an old Bible term uh, that means something that is an abomination that happens that causes destruction or desolation. And Jesus says, yeah, that one that Daniel wrote about, that Daniel the prophet spoke about, and then Matthew as he's writing the book in, in parentheses, he says, whoever's reading this, you need to understand. Whosoever readeth, let him understand. So that raises a couple things for me, like, hey, we need to go to Daniel and see what Daniel said. Because Jesus says, watch out for this. This is a sign. This precedes my coming. So watch out for this thing called the abomination of desolation that Daniel wrote about. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a short tour through the book of Daniel and see what he has to say and kind of set some foundation. And then I think we'll get through Daniel and next week we'll be in Revelation 13 where it deals specifically with the beast or the Antichrist. So hopefully you're in your Bibles at Daniel chapter 2. Remember, some of the, as we're going through some of this, this is prophecy we're dealing with, written prophecy. So it seems trippy when you read it. Like, what is he talking about? What's all these animals and wings and eyes and horns? It seems trippy. It seems strange. It, it's symbolic of things. And it makes sense when it's fulfilled. Like, some of this stuff happened, as we'll see. Then you could look back and say, okay, I get what, I get what it said now. But as we read it, it's kind of strange. It's kind of weird. You have to get comfortable with that. You have to get comfortable with that in Revelation. It talks about locusts with women's hair spitting fire out of their mouths. (laughs) That's crazy. Until we see maybe what he means. And then you could say, oh, okay. 
I get it if he's talking about like a tank or a helicopter or something, and John's trying to describe that before helicopters were ever invented. Oh, okay, you know, makes sense. So you got to get a little bit comfortable with the weird language and just try to think and try to understand and, and see what it says. So um, we're going to read some of that tonight. And also understand we're going to spend most of the time tonight discussing world powers. That's important to understand. Governments that rule, or more specifically, maybe individuals that rule the world. Because that directly, directly relates to what we saw in the first couple chapters in Revelation, right? Revelation 6, there's a guy that comes in, the first writer, he brings peace and rule, a crown, is given to him. So he is made ruler of many people. And his word goes. We're... we're we should be familiar with some of this uh, symbolic stuff. Remember they were seated on horses, a place of position, a place of power. And uh, we'll be dealing with kings and kingdoms that rule the world. We're not familiar with that concept, are we? We're not, com- we're not familiar with one ruler. The closest thing we've experienced to anything like that is that the word of the governor, our state shut down. That's the closest thing we're we're used to it all the decision of one man affected everything in our state and we moan and we griped and we complain we still are right well who's he to do this how can he do this and and all those questions we ask we know i don't want to go over all that again but that's that's the taste of what we've got of a monarchy we're used to a republic right by the way that's what america is it's a republic not necessarily a democracy, it's a republic. Um, We're used to that, where the people have supreme power, and we elect representatives for us through a democratic process, but we ultimately have a say in the land. That's what we're used to. So if we don't like something, we can speak up about it, and technically we could change it. We can take down governors, we can take down presidents, we could, if the people were unified, we could do whatever we wanted, because the power is vested in the people. That's recent. That's a recent anomaly. You know that, right? That's like 1776 recent. That's not the norm. The norm is a monarchy. One person rules a nation. And his word or her word, in, in the case of the queen in, in England, their word is law, period. You, you don't say anything back. What they say goes. Israel was different because they were for many years a theocracy. They had God and no king until they griped and they wanted King Saul and then everything went down the hill from there, right? They were ruled by God. The majority of other nations were ruled by one ruler. And these rulers that we're going to talk about tonight, as this is the same with the ruler to come, ruled the known world. There were no different states. This king was the king of the world, okay? So we're going to go to Daniel chapter 2. We're going to look at a couple things there to get a guide. Then we're going to go to chapter 7 and uh, look at some things there. So chapter 2 and verse 36. And by the way, passages like this is why so-called scholars hate the book of Daniel. They try to say that this is not part of the Bible because it nails the future before it ever happens and everything comes to pass perfectly. 
It tells of the ruling world powers that will come before they do, and it happens just like this. So people say, oh, Daniel was written way after the fact. Nobody could prophesy like that. That's why they, that's why they uh, despise this book, and I think that's why Jesus says, oh, yeah, go read Daniel the prophet by, because his word is Scripture. So these are pretty important passages. Some of us are familiar with these, but let's... Uh, Let's, let's get a, a, a feel for what's going to go on. So Daniel chapter 2 and verse 36. I'm going to move kind of quick, and then uh, we'll probably cut off the live stream about 7.45 or so in case there's any questions or comments. And if you have one, if I need to stop, raise, raise your hand and I'll stop. No big deal. Um, certainly we want to do that. So Daniel chapter 2, verse 36. We're coming right in the middle of something that's happening. King Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon, has had a dream and Daniel is telling him what the dream was. We'll just simply leave it at that. This is Daniel speaking, Daniel 2.36. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. No, verse 31. I went too far. Verse 31, sorry. Daniel 2.31. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. The image's head was of fine gold, and his breast and arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. And thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces." And then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the th summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. The king saw this dream. It's this huge giant statue and the, the head is gold. The chest and arms are made of silver, the thighs of brass, the legs of iron, and the feet and toes, specifically the toes is what we're going to focus on, is of iron mixed with clay. So he sees this, this strange statue. So what is that? What does that mean? Well, Daniel's going to tell him. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, thou, O king, art a king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom and power and strength and glory. And, and wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven, hath he given unto thine hand. And he hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. You are this head of gold. Your kingdom is represented by this gold head. Verse 39. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. And another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, forasmuch as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things. And as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. But there shall be in it the strength of iron, forasmuch as thou sawest the iron mixed with clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken or partly brittle or weak. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave to one another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom 
shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So he gets this vision of this statue, and the different metals, the different pieces of it represent different major kingdoms. For the most part, let's see, three, I got to count this real quick. I didn't write this in my notes. Okay, so we're, we could be talking about five or six major dominant ruling powers. One has not yet come, and by the time this is written, one is gone. There's one that's not mentioned here. But we should know it well. Who in the Old Testament ruled the world before the book of Daniel? Anybody know? Think Exodus. Egypt. Egypt ruled the world for hundreds of years. But they're not mentioned here. This is written during the time of Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of Babylon. He starts with the current world power in Daniel. That's because Nebuchadnezzar's dad wiped out Egypt. He took Egypt out and they've never risen again. All the pyramids and all the great sphinx and all that stuff, that's ruins. It's not current. It's ruins from a kingdom that has never risen again. Nebuchadnezzar's dad comes in, wipes him out. Nebuchadnezzar takes over the kingdom and he, he expands it greatly and it becomes the worldwide um, empire of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar is that head of gold. I've heard descriptions, I've read descriptions of Babylon. There's not been anything quite like it. Gold everywhere. Hanging gardens like you couldn't believe. Precious stones everywhere. There's not been any kingdom that can quite compare to it. The only other thing I could think that comes close, probably excels, would be Solomon's kingdom. But other than that, when you talk about world powers ruling, Babylon's the head of gold. The head of gold. This kingdom goes on for about 80 years. Babylon stays for about 80 years. It's wiped out in a night. If you want to read about that, it's in Daniel chapter 5. The writing on the wall, Belshazzar and all that. It's wiped out in, in one night, and next comes this kingdom of silver. That's the Mede-Persian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire. You know kings of, these, of this empire. Darius, Cyrus... Ahasuerus or Xerxes, you can read about them. They're all Medo-Persian kings. You read about them in Daniel, in Isaiah, in Esther, in Ezra, in Nehemiah, in First, uh, Second Chronicles, I believe, even. They're written about in the Bible. These are the kings that, that are in that time, too. That, they take over, and it expands even more. The next kingdom is the one of brass. That's Greece, and a guy named Alexander the Great. I don't know if you've heard of him before. Basically, in just a few short years, he conquers the known world. In fact, he establishes such a large empire and, and becomes king of it all, and he dies before he's 30. He conquers the world and lives it up in a way that he dies before he's 30. That's going to be important with some other symbolic things that we'll see in chapter 7. Then comes the iron, right? So we got gold, silver, brass, than the legs of iron. Anybody know who that is? Rome. Rome. There's not, there's not been a, a kingdom or empire quite like Rome in human history. Babylon was pretty and beautiful. Rome was strong, strong like iron. It lasted for some 500 years. 
500 years, they built roads, they built running water systems, they established pretty much a world law, Pax Romana, however you um, uh, pronounce it. But there's never been quite a, a powerhouse like Rome. But there's one that's mentioned still. The feet and the toes, the iron and the clay mixed together. Well, you and I know that you can't mix up iron and clay and it becomes something different. No. The two don't mix. In fact, as he describes his kingdom in verse 42, he says, As the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. It has some of the strength of the Roman Empire, but there's a weakness in it too. It's not quite as strong. So let's keep that in mind. And by the way, that rock, in case you're wondering, the stone cut without hands that grows into a mountain and crushes everything, that's Christ. That's Jesus as He comes, sets up His kingdom. There's no more kingdoms of men. It's Christ's kingdom. It becomes a great mountain, fills the whole earth. He rules over everything. And that's what it said in verse 44. In the days of these kings, these last kings He's talking about, God's, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. That's the only one it says it about. Babylon was destroyed. Greece and Rome and all destroyed. Not God's kingdom. So don't forget that even as we talk about some of these things. Okay, Daniel chapter 7. Let's, let's hook it over there. Look at some things there. Everybody tracking with me? Somewhat understandable? So Daniel is given a vision of the world powers that will come. And by the way, he nails it all as he'll, just, as he'll do here in chapter 7. All of those kingdoms have come to pass except for the last one. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven strove upon the great sea. So he gets this vision of four winds striving a great, like fighting on the sea. Well, listen, when you read prophetic literature, uh, you can understand some of these symbols. When you see the sea mentioned, because we're going to see that in Revelation too, usually that deals with masses of people, like the population of the earth. And he, he sees these four mighty powers struggling over the sea, ruling kingdoms that are fighting for control. Verse 3, and four great beasts came up from the sea. They come out of the people. They arise out of the people, diverse from one another. Daniel 7, 4. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Well, lion's pretty powerful, pretty majestic, right? King of beasts and eagles. I, has anybody ever seen a bald eagle? These things are awesome, man. It's, it's like that. That big, huge birds. I, we saw, I remember when we went to uh, Yellowstone, floating down the Snake River. They're just sitting there in the trees, just chilling. Well, they stare you down is what they do. They look at you like you're prey. There's just, you don't mess with those birds. <laughs> it's just something majestic, just like, just like a lion. Well, this is, this is meant to picture something. Because at first you read it, I... First was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Well, that's a weird-looking lion with wings, right? No, he's trying, to, he's trying to give us a picture here. Majestic, powerful. 
And I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted from the earth and made to stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Something happened to this that humbled him. Well, just to make a long story short, this is Nebuchadnezzar. This is Babylon. If you, any of you remember in Daniel, remember how Nebuchadnezzar, I think it's Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. He walks out on his thing. He says, look all that I have built. And God says, yeah, I'm going to strike you down. You're going to crawl around like a beast. Your hair is going to get so long it looks like eagle's feathers. And your nails are going to grow so long they look like eagle's claws. And he does that for seven years, right? Seven years, something like that. Until he comes to and he says, yeah, you alone are God. I, listen, maybe I stand alone, but I believe Nebuchadnezzar was a saved man by some of the things he writes in Daniel chapter 4. He was humbled. Well, just like this lion was humbled. I think this is talking about Babylon. Verse 5, And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, raised itself up on one side. Anybody watch those movies when a grizzly gets ticked off? I've never seen it in real life, thank goodness, but I kind of want to. <laughs> I've seen it on TV where a bear gets up and he's all, it's like Medo-Persia, right? Persia came in, took out Babylon, and it took over the world. It raised itself up on one side, Persia was stronger, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it, and they said, thus unto it, arise, devour much flesh. Verse 6, this is Greece. And at this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had the back of it four wings of a fowl. A leopard is fast. It's even faster if it's got two sets of wings. And Alexander the Great came in, and it, like that, man, he spread the empire. Like I said, he died before he was 30. He took control of just about everything, and he did it almost overnight. The beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. That's another discussion. Verse 7, After, that, after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth, and it devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. Let's pause there. That's Rome. It's Rome and something else. This ten horns. I think and I believe this. Daniel describes this great beast that is just like the legs of iron, which is Rome. And as he said, as he goes on to describe this ten horns, I think he's moving into this kingdom that is yet to come. Pay attention to what it says here. In the, um, I, th I think it's yet to come. Why do I say that? Well, let's read this first. End of verse 7. It had ten horns. Verse 8. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, from, be from before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Like I said, I believe this is talking about a future kingdom. Here's why I say that. Babylon's gone. Greece is gone. Rome is gone. Medo-Persia is gone. Right? They're no more. And the Ancient of Days hasn't come yet, has he? He hasn't come with his kingdom to abolish everything else so there's something still left in this piece of the puzzle and that's the ten horns the ten toes this feet 
iron and clay mixed kingdom that's yet to come. And I think this is talking about the kingdom that will come or the, the empire that will come with the Antichrist. And I think it's an attempt at the resurrection of a Roman Empire. I say attempt because there'll be some strength of the Roman Empire, but there'll still be some weakness in it. It won't be as strong. And it's going to seemingly be with a confederation of ten rulers. It says it had ten horns, ten toes, ten horns. Horns is a symbol of power in Scripture, of rulership. So it seems to be with this kingdom that is yet to come, it's going to be a confederation or a council or a coming together of ten rulers. Um, you could think along the lines of the United Nations and things like that where we have nations in, in uh, um, cooperation or, or whatever with each other. Something like that. And I'm not saying that's what it is, but it seems to be here ten rulers are pointed out. And among those... There comes up a little horn who takes some of his constituents out and he becomes bigger. Let's go to verse 19. Do I want to skip that much? Yeah, we're going to skip that much because that's talking about the end. Verse 19. He says, Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast. This is Daniel speaking. I want to know who this, what, what is this? Which was diverse from all the others, and exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were full of iron, and his nails of brass, which devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with his feet, and of the ten horns which were in his head, and of the other which came up, before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints, and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. You see the timeline it's, it's giving for us? This little horn raises up from this confederation of ten rulers. He raises up to a place of power. He makes war with the saints. He prevails against them until the Ancient of Days comes, and the saints possess the kingdom, right? Look at verse 23. Thus he said, and this is an angel speaking back, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that will arise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into His hand until time and times and the dividing of time. Okay, got a lot of information coming at you, I know, but we're talking about this little horn. Let's shift our focus away from Rome and these other ruling powers to this little horn, this ruler who, who becomes great and takes over this kingdom. He says he shall speak great or terrible words against the Most High. He's going to speak blasphemy. 
And he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. He's going to make war with them. He's going to go after God's people. And he's going to change times and laws. And he's talking about, I believe, biblical things. He's going to change everything to his own suiting. And they, the times, the laws, even the saints, they shall be given to his hand until a time. Well, how much is a time? One times Let's just say that's two, three, and a dividing of times, three and a half. Be given to his hand for three and a half of these times. Keep that in mind now. Some of the puzzle pieces are starting to fall in, right? This is what Daniel talked about long before Revelation ever came along. There's going to be this guy who takes over the world in the time of the end, and he's going to have a going to come to rise to power and for three and a half years he's going to go after God's people and, and speak blasphemy and make um, war with the saints. Go to chapter 8, verse 9. And out of one of them, chapter 8 and verse 9, out of one of them came forth a little horn which waxed exceeding great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. And it waxed great or it grew great even to the host of heaven. And it cast down some of the host of, and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. If we're talking about angels, who's, the, who's a prince of the host? We're talking about places of God. Okay? And by him, by this little horn, the daily sacrifice was taken away and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. And a host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression and it cast down the truth to the ground. Cast down the truth to the ground. And it practiced and prospered. This guy's not a nice guy. This ruler is not... Uh, favorable towards anything when it has to do with God. He makes himself great and he casts those things down. Verse 23 of chapter 8. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to a full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding and dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart. Notice this phrase. By peace shall destroy many. By peace he shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes. But he shall be broken without hand. Getting Beginning to get a picture of who this guy is and his attitude. Defying against God, magnifying himself, going against, using deception even by peace to destroy people. Then to the verses you know, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and anoint the most holy. Seventy years, seventy periods of sevens, till it's all done. This is what God is saying. 
Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem to the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, three score and two weeks. 69. And the street shall be built again and the wall even in trouble sometimes. That goes up to the time of Christ. When Christ dies on the cross and, and buys His church with His blood, we enter into the age of grace. That's what we are in currently. We are waiting for a last period of seven years in this whole time of God's timing. A period of seven years that's on a scroll sealed up with seven seals that God will unroll. That as He unrolls, this, these things we've been reading about begin to take place. And after three score and two weeks, verse 26, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for Himself. And the people of the prince that shall come. You understand who that prince that shall come is now? Get a little bit of better understanding. This little horn is going to come. The people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Listen now. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the middle of the week, what's half of seven? Three and a half. Does that ring a bell from chapter 7 and verse 25? This is what we're talking about. In the middle of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. Even till the consummation of the finish and shall be determined and poured upon the desolate. Three and a half years in takes place this abomination of desolation. And it's done by this prince that is shall come. Right? Ding, ding, ding. Isn't that what Jesus said? Look out for this abomination of desolation that Daniel the prophet talks about. Okay, so what is this abomination? We'll finish by answering that question. We've got two more passages of Scripture, and then we'll be. I know it's a kind of an overload to all think about on a Wednesday night, but I want to set it before you and get familiar with this stuff. Chapter 11, verse 31. Still in Daniel. Eleven. And 31, the arms shall stand on his part, an army. They shall pollute the sanctuary of strength. They shall take away the daily sacrifice. And they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. Takes the sacrifice out of the temple and places something there that starts this all off. Verse 36, and the king shall do according to his will. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods. And he shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that, for that that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He cares nothing about any god. He magnifies himself. Okay, final piece of the puzzle when it comes to this abomination of desolation. Jesus said, look out for it. We already know what happens. It has to do with this individual uh, who rises up, takes control, and makes a covenant, a peace treaty with the people, says Israel, for seven years. In the middle of that, at three and a half years in, he uh, goes after them. He begins to make war with the saints, and he does this thing called the abomination of desolation. 2 Thessalonians, hook it to the New Testament. Last passage as Paul gives us some clarity here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. They thought it had already passed. Did we miss it? Did it already happen? What's going on? Paul says, oh, calm down, calm down. Verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except to come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. He says, no, Christ is not coming back until some other things take place, like a falling away and this revealing of the man of sin, the son of perdition. Listen, verse 4, who opposeth and exalted himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. Here's what the abomination of desolation is right here in this next phrase. So that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. You get, you get what that says? It's going to go into the temple, to the holy place, the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is, declare himself to be God above God. I don't know how much more of a, an abomination you could talk about of a human standing in a holy place and saying, I am God. And then after that, desolation. Boom. I am God. Kill those people. Basically is that in a nutshell. And then all hell breaks loose on earth. That's the abomination of desolation. Jesus says, Daniel wrote about it. You need to be looking for that because that precedes my coming. What are the signs of the end? and What should be the signs of the coming? Look out for some of this stuff. They're just birth pains. Watch out for that abomination of desolation. When you hear about that, what does he say? Run. <laughs> Run. And all that has to do with the Antichrist, the man of sin. And next week we'll go into Revelation and we'll make that pretty clear. Now, yeah, I, I will talk a little bit about the abomination of desolation too because some, some questions I have with a temple and maybe even somebody claiming to be Christ that has, has returning and some things that I ha thoughts that I have, but that is what the Scriptures say. And so that's what, we, uh, that's what we'll end with. I hope the study has been helpful. And for all those watching, we'll see you. Sunday at 10 a.m.